aren't you just a sight for sore eyes? Of all the movie and TV joints in all the towns and all the world, you walked into mine. How lovely. Come, sit. Let me pour you a drink before we begin the showing. You know, I think that this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Cheers. Here's looking at you, Phil. Well, hello there. How are we? Welcome back to Here's Looking at You Film, a podcast for the vintage cinephile with modern sensibilities. I'm your host, Nikki, and we are back. Um, I did take a two-week break because I very much needed it. Let me tell y'all about what's been going on. Um, So first of all, today's episode is going to be different. It's going to be way different. But um, first of all, I have gotten into a really steady workout routine. I work out literally every day, um, seven days a week. Um, This past week, um, I went out two days in a row. I went out on a Thursday night to an event um, to celebrate sex workers, which was amazing. And then I went out with some friends on Friday, literally to the same venue, uh, House of Yes in Brooklyn. It was really fun. Um, But of course, I was out of it. Um, And the weeks prior, I've been just trying to get myself in order, my life in order. Um, I got a new position at work, so I've been adjusting to that. I feel really good about that. So life is just a lot different than it was when I started the podcast. It's a lot different than it was a month ago. But um, I am happy to be back with you guys. And because I have been away from you guys for so long, and maybe you missed me, maybe you didn't. But if you did miss me, um, I am going to spill my guts to you in a double feature today. Um, Our first episode was a double feature. And since this is episode 20, and presumably episode 21 as well, um, we're going to do... Two movies with two women, uh, two rival actresses that are powerhouses of Hollywood and um, represent a diva rivalry um, that I've never, I mean, it's it's like Nicki Minaj and Cardi B, like seriously, <laughs> but like old school Hollywood. Um But um, if you do or do not know, we are, of course, talking about the stars of What Happened to Baby Jane. Uh, There was also a mini-series made about them. Um, We are talking about Joan Crawford and Betty Davis. Now, today's this episode today is dedicated to Betty Davis, and tomorrow I'll be releasing an episode dedicated to Joan Crawford, but each woman will get her own movie. And at the end of tomorrow's episode, we'll talk a little bit about what I think these movies have in common, um, what I think these ladies have in common, and what these films kind of reflect in their lives as well. But today we are going to be talking about my girl Betty Davis, The Rivalry, and we're going to be talking about one of the greatest films ever made, All About Eve. So before we get into the film, we're going to talk about the rivalry for a little bit. I'm going to try to sum it up as short as I can, um, because the way we're going to do the movie is going to be a little different as well, too. Um, But so basically, the rivalry started between the two of them um, in 1933. So uh, Betty Davis um, 
had the film X Lady, um, her comedy was coming out and it was going to be the first film that was going to feature her name uh, as like the top build name. And so this was really huge for her career, right? Well, the day that this was supposed to be announced was also the day that Joan Crawford announced that she was divorcing her first husband, Douglas Fairbanks Jr. So um, this news came out about Betty Davis um, being, you know, having top build name. But that's, I mean, that happens to a lot of actresses a lot. It's huge for their career, but it's not like front page news. Uh, Hollywood divorce is front page news. So Betty Davis's story was relegated to a little like corner paragraph blurb about this being like a big deal for her. And um, Joan Crawford got like several pages dedicated to her divorce. And when X Lady came out, um, it was dropped from theaters after a week because it got poor ticket sales. Uh, so Betty Davis after that presumably kind of hated Joan Crawford. It's unfortunate that it happened on the same day, and I don't think it was meant to happen on the same day, of course, but you can't help but feel like this is my big moment, and this woman, for some reason, has taken it from me. Um, so, thus the beef was born. Two years later, Betty Davis does Dangerous with Franchot Tone. Um, she basically fell in love with this man, French Tone fell in love with Joan Crawford. And uh, unfortunately, they met for lunch uh, every day. He would come back to the set. His face would be covered in lipstick. Um, he was excited to have this great star, Joan Crawford, being in love with him. And while he thought Betty Davis was a great actress, he never thought of her as a woman. And that is going to come back later on when we talk about the film that we're talking about today. But um, that Betty Davis never forgave her for that. And she said she'd never forgive her for that. She said she knew. She said, Joan knew I was in love with him and she stole him from me. It was cold, calculated and callous. Um, we'll never know whether it was on purpose or whether they genuinely fell in love. But um, if art imitates life at all, or life imitates art, um, the movie that we talk about tomorrow with Joan Crawford would say that she does in fact know how to marry for her own, uh, her own for money or for her own devices as opposed to for love. But we'll talk about that tomorrow. So we've talked before about how commonly actors would liter would be associated with film studios. And um, in 1943, Joan Crawford came to Warner Brothers. Um, she was originally with MGM. She came over to Warner Brothers. Betty Davis was already in Warner at Warner Brothers. And she, Joan Crawford, uh, demanded the dressing room uh, right adjacent to Betty Davis. And Joan Crawford sent a bunch of gifts to Betty Davis, trying to call a truce with her, um, sent her flowers, all sorts of stuff. And famously, Betty Davis sent them all back. Okay. So she was like not having it with her at all. Um, in 1945, 
uh, Warner Brothers released a film called Mildred Pierce, which we are going to be covering tomorrow. Um, now, they originally wanted Betty Davis to play the starring role of Mildred Pierce. She turned it down. She did not want it. And Joan Crawford was thirsty for this role. She wanted this so badly. So even though um, they really didn't want her to play it, they decided to give it to her. This was the only role that Joan Crawford won an Academy Award for. And it was supposed to be Betty Davis's role. So one of the other rumors that all of this is like, you know, hearsay, rumor mill kind of stuff. But some of these things are literal quotes from Betty Davis or mostly quotes from Betty Davis. But this one is sort of a here and there kind of thing. So Joan Crawford was known to have relationships with men and women. And some people say that part of their feud was because Joan Crawford kind of had a thing for Betty Davis. And Betty Davis was not having it. She did not have a thing for women at all. And a lot of the feud in Betty's eyes was fueled by Joan. So she had this like deep dislike for Joan, where Joan just sort of like ended up on the back end of a lot of bad things that happened to Betty. And so she ended up taking um, a lot of that hatred on. But the rivalry grew just because when a woman doesn't like you, you're automatically kind of not going to like her back. If she's not going to give you a chance, like, I'm not going to like you back. But Betty's a beautiful woman. So um, even though, you know, Betty wasn't quite into it. Some people would say that Joan had the hots for her, and um, that's why she's also always so antagonistic towards her, sort of like a school bully uh, when a boy has a crush on you and he treats you like shit, you know, um, which obviously sucks, but some people would say that's kind of what Joan was doing. So in the 50s, this feud, this rivalry, as well as them being at the same studio, meant that a lot of times they were pitted against each other for the same roles. Uh, so it got even more frustrating for both of them, especially as they started to age in Hollywood. I mean, they'd been in Hollywood for about 20, 25 years at this point. And everything came to a head in 1962 when Joan came to Betty and asked her if she would like to do a project with her being whatever happened to baby Jane. Um, now, I talked about this film on a podcast with my dear friend Antonio, um, the cult-worthy podcast, um, but uh, the podcast did not pick up his side of the audio. It only picked up mine. So we have to re-record it. Um, but he was part of the reason that I was inspired to do these two episodes. Um, but we did talk about whatever happened to Baby Jane, and hopefully we'll get to do that episode again soon. I love working with him. So, um, But after working on this film where they, you know, play these two sisters who kind of have um, a weirdly sadistic, violent, um, odd relationship with each other through a series of events that start th from their childhood. Um, but during the film, uh, they had to do a lot of stunts with each other where they would have to, um, where Betty Davis would have to injure Joan um, and she would actually hit Joan. She would actually hurt Joan. <clears throat> there was also a rumor that at one point, um, Joan had to pretend to be passed out. So she had to be dead weight and Betty had to 
carry her somewhere. And they said that Joan put weights and rocks in her pockets so she would be heavier. And Betty Davis was known to have like back problems. So then it was even harder for her to carry Joan. So there's all this drama and mess going on on the set. And even after filming had wrapped, the tension kind of kept going because these two women, these two powerhouses were both in this film, but Betty Davis um, got the Oscar nod for her performance, um, along with Victor Buono for his performance as well. So Joan Crawford did not get nominated for this film and she felt slighted for it. So what she ended up doing was because she knew that a bunch of people were not able to attend the Oscars that year, she offered to accept the Oscar for whoever won in that category. So Anne Bancroft won, um, for that year and Joan Crawford went up to accept Anne Bancroft's award while Betty Davis who was actually nominated is sitting in the crowd and even after the award show Joan Crawford is in all these post award show photos with these winners while Betty Davis wasn't able to take any photos because she was simply nominated and Joan Crawford wasn't even nominated so it's kind of trashy but also very funny um so their careers kind of went on um uh, uh like a steady decline it wasn't like a real decline but they just started to get less roles um i believe joan crawford started to work on in hollywood i mean on broadway for a while and then when joan crawford passed in 1977 um this is not 100% proven but there's a quote that said that betty davis says Um, You should never say bad things about the dead. You should only say good. Joan Crawford is dead. Good. Which is like, (laughs) if she did say that, that is the most like diva. That's very much um, Mariah Carey. I don't know her. Do y'all, I hope y'all know the I don't know her story Um, (laughs) about Mariah Carey. When they asked her, who did they ask her about? I can't even remember who they asked her about. They asked her about a certain performer. And she first they asked her about Beyonce. And she was like, oh, I love Beyonce. Oh, they asked her about J-Lo. And she said, Jen, I, I don't know her. <laughs> so, giving very much that same energy. Um, so Betty Davis often would say that um, Joan Crawford was a star, but she was an actress. And um, even though a lot of roles actually did reflect that, it seemed that Hollywood kind of put them on the same level or on similar levels because they were offered similar roles. Um, They were often kind of pitted against each other as rivals. So the whole rivalry is very interesting. And they also, also had issues with their daughters, which we'll talk about in the next episode. But today, um, now that we've gotten the feud kind of covered, we are going to talk about one of my favorite films of all time, All About Eve. Now, the way that we're doing this today is going to be a little bit different. So I've mentioned to you guys that part of the reason that I decided to do this podcast is because I just have a habit of doing this. Um, I will 
people will, I'll start talking about a movie. People will ask me, you know, well, what's the movie about? And then I tell them about the movie. Now, obviously, as I sit and talk to someone about a movie at a party or at dinner or whatever, I don't sit and talk to them for an hour. You know, I try to shorten it as much as I can, giving them as many details as I can possibly remember, um, especially being a movie that I like. Now, this specific movie, All About Eve, I have seen this movie probably 10 times. I would say 10 times. It is an amazing movie. I love it so much. And so I'm sure there are some things that I may forget, but I know that there is a bunch of stuff that I remember. And so usually as I do these tellings for you guys, I basically read my notes word for word to talk to you guys about these films. Today, I'm going to tell you guys off the cup, off the rip about these Films. I'm going to do it for both. Um, both today, All About Eve and tomorrow's Mildred Pierce are 100% off the top of my head because I do love both of these movies a lot. And um, I want you guys to get the full authentic experience of what it would be like for me to try to tell you about these films if I saw you at a party. <laughs> and I hope that you enjoy that. Um, and I hope that you don't then go, gosh, this this happens at parties. Oh my gosh. Yes, it does happen at parties. And people like it, I think. If they don't, then, ugh. but I think they do. Okay. So All About Eve is a 1950s American drama written and, just, written and directed by Joseph L. Mankiewicz. It's uh, based on a short story called The Wisdom of Eve by Mary Orr. And we'll talk about how this is a semi-true story um, based on an anecdote that she heard from an actress. We'll talk about that afterwards. Um, the film um, had was praised by critics when it came out and ended up getting a, a record 14 Academy Award nominations and one of six of them, including Best Picture. And All About Eve is the only film in Oscar history to receive four female acting nominations two for Best Actress, and two for Best Supporting Actress. So go women. Fuck it up, bitches. It is considered one of the greatest films of all time, and I absolutely agree. The plot is amazing. The acting is stunning. I'm, I know I'm raving about the movie before I even talk about it. You know I usually do this at the end, but I can't help it. It is an amazing film, and we are going to get into it in just a moment, but you know first, we have to talk about the cast. So, we have Betty Davis playing Margot Channing, my girl Betty, and Baxter is Eve Harrington. George Sanders plays Addison DeWitt. Celeste Holmes is Celeste Holmes is Karen Richards. Gary Merrill is Bill Sampson. Hugh Marlowe is Lloyd Richards, which is Karen's husband. Uh, Thelma Ritter is Bertie Coonan. We love Bertie. That's our boo. Uh, Gregory Radoff plays Max Fabian. Um, Barbara Bates plays Phoebe. And our girl, in a very, very early role in her career, playing Claudia Caswell, is Marilyn Monroe. And I remember seeing this movie um, for the first time, and then again, like, maybe a couple times later, watching it again and being like, is that Marilyn? And she is stunning. She's only in the movie for a couple of minutes, but the couple of minutes that she's in it, she really does take over the show, and you can see why people really 
praise her as like one of the biggest stars of the time, um, even though her career was short-lived. Um, but um, these are, it's an amazing cast list. Everybody plays such a great role in this film. I mean, like I, I just named pretty much everybody that's in the film. I didn't cut the cast list off or anything because everybody plays such a big part and is so amazing. Um, so, uh, of course, now we are going to get into talking about the film. Now that we have our players, let's press play. So the movie is narrated by a lot of our main characters three or four of our main characters end up narrating. Um, we get some narration from Margot. We get a little bit of narration from um, Lloyd. Uh, we get some narration from Karen, who is Margot's best friend. But we don't get any narration from Eve because, of course, this is not um, from Eve. This is all about Eve. Um, but the first bit of narration that we get is from Addison DeWitt. Um we come into an award ceremony and we see Eve Harrington, Harrington accepting an award. Um, she stands up to accept her award very gracefully. Um, there's a very nice speech that's given about her. And while she's um, accepting her award, Addison talks about how poised she is and how Addison himself, he is a, a critic, a theater critic. So he's very important to the theater. However, Karen, uh, who is sitting next to him, Karen Richards, um, she married into the theater. Lloyd Richards, who is a playwright, um, came to her school, and a couple of years later, they married. Um, so she is in the theater by, you know, by marriage. Uh, sitting next to Karen is Margot. Margot Channing is a very famous actress. Her career started at the age of five. She walked onto sta the stage. Uh, she was playing a fairy in A Midsummer Night's Dream. She walked on stage naked and her career has been taking off ever since. Sitting, sitting next to uh, Margot is um, Bill. And sitting next to Bill is Lloyd. Um, also sitting there is also Max Fabian. Max Fabian is the producer um, for a lot of these Broadway shows, including the one that Eve Harrington is in, as well as many of the shows that Margot Channing has been in as well. Um, so they're sitting uh, and watching as Eve accepts an award, and they all look very not impressed. So, um, this is in June. In order to start this story, Karen takes us back to October. So it's been a mere eight months that this whole story has unfolded. But uh, we go back eight months and we go back to a theater in New York. Margot Channing has been performing at this theater every night and has been doing a show, and it's a beloved show. Everyone has been coming to see it, especially one froppy-looking girl who is hanging out outside. It's raining, and she's kind of waiting underneath a hovel. She waits back in the alley every day, waiting for Margot Channing to leave. And uh, Karen often comes back to see her friend after the show, Margot. So uh, she comes back in the back and she sees this girl once again. Now, she decides today to have a short conversation with her. Um, the girl tells her that her name is Eve Harrington and that she comes to see the show with Margot every night. 
Um, she asks why she doesn't go see any other shows. She says Margot's not in any other shows. Uh, she's so impressed with Margot. This is the only show that she wants to see. So uh, Karen, knowing that this girl is back there every night, um, knowing that this girl is so impressed with Margot that she only wants to see the shows that Margot's in, she decides, I'm going to take you back there to see her. So she's at first she's like, no, I look, I look a mess. But uh, Karen takes her back. Now, Eve is a sweet just uh, like the the quietest like country mouse of a girl. She's got on like this flimsy like floppy hat and this a raincoat that doesn't do anything for her figure. Um, she's got big bright eyes and but her face it just looks so like serene but sort of sad. So when she comes in, uh, she looks out onto the theater and at the empty seats and you can tell she's kind of just taking it in, breathing it in. Well, Karen goes back um, to meet with Margot and kind of uh, hang out with her before she leaves like she does every night. And um, Margot and her friends uh, are back there palling around. It's Margot, um, Lloyd is back there, and Birdie is Margot's like, sort of like her assistant, um, but older than Margot, not too much older, but older than Margot. But you can tell like she's been around her a lot. She trusts her a lot. She's like her, like her best maid. And you, you see in older movies a lot, there's usually like one trusted maid that the person, the, the main person in the house will go to for advice or will listen to because they're, they're like of the people, but also like very close to this person have been around this person a lot. So they know a lot about them. And Bertie is essentially that for Margot, um, sort of like nags her, but nags her because she knows what's right for her. So um, now back there, we've got, of course, Lloyd, the playwright who's written the play, Margot, um, and Bertie's back there. And now uh, Karen is back there as well, too. Now backstage, Margot has taken off her wig, all her makeup, and you can tell that this woman is not posh by any means. She is very classy. She's an a little bit older, um, but she definitely knows what she wants and she is not going to sit here and be polite about it. So Karen is back there talking to her for a moment and basically tells her, hey, I, I brought this girl. She really wants to meet you. And at first Margot tells Bertie, yo, like throw her out. And she's like, no, you can't do this. This girl's so sweet. She's back here to see you every day. And she's like, oh my God, you talking about that girl in that floppy hat and that coat? I'm not, oh gosh, I'm not doing this. But Karen convinces her, like, this is one of your fans, girl. Like, just meet her. So Eve can hear the conversation that's going on outside, but she kind of just stands back. Eventually, Karen brings her in. And as Karen brings her in, Margot sort of puts on a, how do you do? Hi, how are you, Mrs. Mrs. Um, Henderson? And <laughs> Karen has to remind her that her name is Eve Harrington. Um, but Eve, um, sits down and they ask her, basically are like, Hey girl, tell us your life story. Now this is the first time they, she's literally just sat down in front of them and they're like, girl, tell us your life story. Now it's, this is what's funny because, um, Birdie had gone into the, she was like, Oh my gosh. Like when 
Eve came in and Margot put on this like very posh act. She was like, oh my gosh, look, it's the queen of England or whatever. And she was like, Bertie, why don't you go in the bathroom and do something? Bertie was like, you know what? I will. But so when they were like, yeah, Eve, why don't you tell us your life story? Before she could start talking, Bertie comes creeping out the bathroom, looking around and nobody's talking, but she looking around like, I'm not finna, I want to hear it. I want to hear the story. So she comes out and she goes and stands like behind where everybody else is. So Eve tells them that she used to live in California and she worked at a beer factory. And at that beer factory, you know, it wasn't a great job, but it was money. Um, she ended up meeting uh, a husband and uh, they were so happy. He ended up going into the military though. Um, one day she was supposed to meet him in San Francisco because he got leave. So she saved up all her money and took time off, went to meet him in San Francisco. He never showed up in San Francisco because he died in duty. So she had time off. She had some money that she was going to be spending with him. And so in her grief, she wandered over by a theater and she ended up going and seeing Margot in a show. And she fell in love with the show and she started, she went to see it the next night and the next night and the next night. And eventually when the show ended and they headed back to New York, she went back to New York with it. So here she is going to see Margot in this show every night. And not only is she impressed with Margot, she's impressed with Lloyd and she's impressed with Bill because Bill is the director of this play. And anything that Bill directs is good. Now, as she's talking about her story, Birdie looks up and says, dang, girl. You had everything attack you but the crocodiles. You had everything but the crocodiles coming after you, girl. And Marco, like, look, some people have real stories that happen to them. You, I, I apologize for Birdie. Birdie's like, Marco, you ain't got to apologize for me. And so she goes over to her. She says, you know, I, apo I apologize, girl. It, it, it do sound like you had a hard life. So as they're kind of talking to her, and comes this handsome gentleman asking why Margot is taking so long. This is Bill Sampson. Now, Bill and Margot go together. <laughs> that is her boyfriend. And Margot is 40, 40 years old, and Bill is 32. And so he comes in, he like, girl, you still got, you ain't even got your hair on. You ain't, got, what are you doing, girl? And she like, shut up. I'm getting ready. And he was like, girl, you look like a dumpster. And he was like, dang. She like, dang, you so sweet to me, Bill. And she, he was like, girl, you know I think you're beautiful. But girl, get ready. So she goes on to get ready. And so eventually they end up telling, she tells Eve like, okay, I'm going to go on and get Bill on this plane because he got to go. And then we're going to go to a diner and we're going to hang out. So... um. Eventually, Margot goes in the bathroom to get changed up. Eve is out there talking to Bill about the theater. And she basically was like, you know, uh, just trying to have a simple conversation with him and saying like, oh, I know you're going out to Hollywood to go work on a movie. Like, why are you going to work on a movie? Like, the theater is here. And he goes into a diatribe about how the theater is movies. And if you know how to make a movie, you know, it's, it can be like theater, basically going up on her for accusing him of like turning his back on the theater. And she was like, well, I was just asking you a question. 
So he was like, okay, well, dang. I, I mean, whatever. So they go, eventually they go to the airport. And Eve is like, hey, since y'all haven't really gotten to spend time together, let me handle getting y'all bags put up and get y'all tickets. And then y'all can spend time together until y'all leave. So um, Margot, you Margot is a hard ass, okay? Because she, you, you, she, she's like, hey, you know, she's been acting for a long time. She knows that she is a Broadway starlet. She got this on lock. She is a great actress. She has credentials behind her. But this girl is so soft over this boy, Bill, because he's 32 and she's 40. And he is, she's very worried that, you know, he works in Hollywood. He works around a bunch of women. He travels a lot. She is genuinely like, you ain't going to leave me for no other bird, is you? And she, he like, girl, you going to start crying. Like, you don't do that. You know, you know, you my boo. You know, I love you. You know, I'm not going to do that to you. You know, you the, you the main. Do you know? She, he's basically like, do you know that you're Margot Channing? Like, you sitting up here worried about these other birds and you're Margot Channing. But she is genuinely worried because she is thinking about the fact that she is 40 and he is 32. And he got lots of choices out here. He got lots of women out here falling at his feet. But, of course, he like, baby, I love you. And he give her a little kiss. He leaves. So... After that, basically, Margot immediately sends for Eve's things and lets Eve move into her home. And Eve becomes like her personal assistant. So girl is taking care of everything, everything, at like making sure all of her paperwork is done. If she has appointments, making sure the appointments are taken care of, making phone calls on her behalf, making sure her money is in order, like everything is straight. Okay. Now she's excited. Birdie is like, y'all think this girl is a little bit like in your business? Like this girl know everything about you. And she's like, well, I mean, like she's my assistant. She should know everything about me. She's like, no, no, no. But she knows like everything. Like this is a little bit too much. So she's like, girl, give her a minute. Okay. So the next morning, at midnight, she gets a call from the operator. Now, the way it works is at this time, if you wanted to make a call late at night or if you wanted a call to go through at a certain time, sometimes you would have to call through to the operator a bunch of times. So you could preset a call for a certain time. So if you wanted to make a call at 1 p.m., you could call the operator and say, I need a call to go through at 1 p.m. so that you wouldn't have to wait for that call and you could have it set up for 1 p.m. like if you had a business meeting or something like that. So Margo gets a call at midnight. She was like, hey, I got the, the, the operator's like, I got this call for you for Bill. And Margo wakes up like, call for me, for Bill. And she, she's like, yeah, you asked for a call for Bill at midnight to California. Uh, the call's going through. And Margo's like, what the fuck? So Bill's like, hey boo, what up? You called your boo. You called your boo. And Margo was like, Am I going crazy? So she's talking to him for a minute and she gets ready to go out, get off the phone. And he was like, So you're not gonna say it? And she was like, Bill, don't don't do this. Like, what are we doing? And so he's like, Lil, like, you ain't gonna say it. You could just sing it. And she was like, sing it. And she thought he was saying to say I love you, and she realizes it's Bill's birthday. And she goes, Oh, it's your birthday, Bill. And he's like, yeah. And she's like, happy birthday. 
And so he's like, oh, you got my party ready for when I get back? And she was like, yeah, who you want me to invite? And he was like, oh, I know you already got the invite list. Um, Eve told me she's been writing me letters like every day. And she was like, oh, every day? And he was like, yeah. So he was like, I love you. She was like, well, I'll ask Eve. Because she's half asleep still. He says, I love you. She said, I'll ask Eve. He was like, what? She's like, I love you too. Goes to sleep. So the next day, she's like, Eve, did you forget to tell me about a phone call? And she was like, oh my gosh, I totally forgot to tell you before you went to dinner, but I knew you wouldn't want to miss Bill's birthday. I, I know you wouldn't want to. So I went on and set up the call and I went on and set the party up for you or whatever. Um, and I also sent a card on your behalf because I knew you wouldn't want to miss it. I, you know, I did that for you. And uh, of course, Margo and Birdie look at each other and they like, okay, okay. So now Margo is like, I don't know if I like this. So one day after a show, um, Eve is like, oh, I'll go ahead and take your uh, costume over for cleaning. And she was like, oh, well, the costume lady usually comes and does it. And Eve's like, no, I got it. So Birdie's like, look, if I know anything, I know that these women, these costume people are union people and they protect their jobs and they want to protect that costume. So you better go tell Eve to come back and let that costume lady do her job. So Margo goes out to go get Eve and she sees Eve like with the costume in front of her, sort of like pretending to wear it um, and like bowing to the audience. So Eve is, uh, so now Margo's like, okay, okay. So she tells Eve, you know, we should let the costume lady bring the dress. Eve's like, okay. So now it's the day Bill's party. Bill's supposed to come back. And uh, Eve's upstairs getting dressed. And she's like, it's weird that Bill ain't here yet. Birdie like, yeah, Bill's here. And he, she was like, oh, well, it's weird that he ain't come up and see me yet. And she was like, oh, I wonder who he's talking to. Huh. So Margo's like, okay. So she goes, it's funny because she walks out of the room. And then she grabs her dress and runs down the stairs like super fast, like, anxious and then she stops and walks again when she gets to the bottom of the steps like she's trying to get her poise back but it's just this like weird moment of like anxiousness of like I gotta and so she hears Eve and Bill laughing and so Margo's like um don't let me um interrupt adult fun y'all's down here laughing or whatever and Bill's like oh well I was just telling her the story that I already told you a bunch of times and um uh, Margo's like oh imagine uh she was like remind me to tell you a story about the time that I saw the center of an artichoke and uh Eve was like oh well you can tell me now and she was like no I'll tell you later so he was like, oh, well, you know, is there anything I can, we can, I can do for you? And she was like, oh, well, you can go and like check on the drinks. And so he was like, okay. So she leaves. And Margo, of course, is knowing, like clearly irritated at Bill. Like, oh, why you ain't come upstairs to see me? And he was like, well, you, you was getting dressed. And he was like, oh, that didn't ever stop you from coming upstairs before. You've always come up to see me. And he was like, well... I stopped to talk to the to to the kid, and, and he always calls um, Eve the kid, or he calls her like Junior or something. And Margo's like, "Stop calling her that! Like she's not a child; she is a woman, and you are a man, and she is in your face. Like, please stop acting like that's not happening." And Bill's like, "Girl, like you really like flipping out? Like I don't know why. Like this. First of all, this is my birthday. Second of all, like I told you I'm here for you. Like why are you doing this?"
So they were like, okay, like what's going on? And and Margot says um, her famous quote, buckle up. It's going to be a bumpy night. So <laughs> the party's going on now. This is Bill's birthday party. And Margot is drunk. And she keeps asking to hear this one sad ass song on the piano. And everybody like, can we can we play something else? And she like, no. If y'all want to listen to something else, y'all can gladly leave my house. I don't give a fuck if this is a sad ass house. It's my sad ass house. And y'all can get the fuck out of my house if y'all want to. So she ends up in the kitchen and she's talking to um Max Fabian, her producer, and says, Hey Max. Can you do me a favor? Like, I don't have nothing else for Eve to do here. Can you take her on at your office? And Max was like, well, I wouldn't want to take her away from you. And she was like, you wouldn't be taking her away from me, babe. I don't have nothing else for her to do. Can you please just give her a job? So Max is like, all right, I will give her a job. So Claudia Caswell is there, Marilyn Monroe. She's, you know, flirting with all the men at the party because she's a Hollywood starlet. And she's trying to make her way. Um, into some roles as well. And she knows that a lot of these guys are going to be able to put her on stage or um, on film. So she's there doing her thing, flirting. Uh, Karen is there as well, too. Uh, Eve is on the steps uh, talking to everybody and being her normal, charming self. Um, And all of the men are clearly enamored with Eve because she has this, like, whimsical innocence. It's very sweet, very charming. Um, She seems very earnest. Like, every time she tells a story, it's from the bottom of her heart. Like, honestly, this girl just seems like when she talks to you, you listen. Um, and so everyone is enamored with her. Meanwhile, Margot is just drunk as a skunk. And she's like, I'm going to go to bed because at first she comes down and says, she's like, oh, everybody's just out here talking to Eve and we all just doing all this stuff, huh? Like everybody's just crowded around, huh? So everybody's kind of like, girl, like you really got a lot going on. She was like, you know what? Fine. I'm going to go to bed. So Karen, who is her bestie, is getting a little bit fed up with Margot because she's like, this girl Eve is so sweet. She's out here taking care of you, taking care of everything for you. And you were out here stomping on her, making her feel like crap. And all she's trying to do is help you. But Margot is just like, no, it's something off about this little girl. So Eve ends up going to work for Max Fabian, but um, Margot was supposed to show up to help... um, uh, Marilyn Monroe read for a part. And she's supposed to show up, I believe, at two. She shows up at four. And when she shows up, they said, oh, she's all, the, the girl's already gone. We're done. We had someone read for the part. Or read your part already. Well, who read my part? Eve. And Lloyd says that she was a tour de force. She was just a force to be reckoned with. She did amazing. Everyone loved her performance. He'd never heard anything read um, in his own words, the way that he visualized them before. It's like she brought new life to the role. Of course, Margot, first of all, had no idea that Eve was her understudy. Eve wiggled her way into being Margot's understudy for this role and then read for it and impressed everybody with this. Um, the girl who was originally supposed to be, was her understudy had gotten pregnant and so they needed to replace her. So they ended up letting Eve do it. Well, 
Um, Margot has a fit about it because she already feels like everybody loves Eve. She feels like something's weird about her. And also, she is deathly afraid that Eve is going to take Bill away from her. So, Margot has a fit about this whole thing. Um, she goes off on Lloyd. She goes off on Karen. Um, and then she ultimately goes off on Bill. So, Bill is telling her, like, you really need to chill out. And she was like, you know what? Like, you out here, you chasing after Eve. You keep talking about her. You talk about how great she is. I know you like her. I know you like all these other women. I'm 40 years old. And you 32 years old. I already know what the deal is. I'm an old hag. And you're not trying to deal with me like that no more. You look at me like I'm old. I get it. Bill's like, look, I'm going to tell you one more time. I love you. I just... Like, what? what is the problem? Like, I've asked you if you want to marry me. I've asked you if you want to be. And she's like, look, because I know you're not serious about me. I know you out here just telling me that because I'm Margot and you feel a way about me. But I know you still got to think for these young ass girls. And Bill's like, you know what? I ain't got time. I'm out. I'm out, Margot. I got to go. He gets ready to leave. And she says, Bill, are you going to see Eve? And Bill was like, damn, like, that's like the worst thing you could have asked. That's the worst thing you could have said to me at this moment. Like, I don't. So Karen and Lloyd Richards were originally supposed to spend a weekend with Margot and Bill. But Bill dipped. And so he nobody can find him. But Margot said she'll still go or whatever. So they went to this cabin for the weekend. And um, her and Margot and Lloyd had, of course, fought about Eve being her understudy. Um, but throughout the weekend, they kind of started talking again. Everything got cool. And um, eventually, uh, Margot ended up apologizing and saying, you know, like, I'm really sorry that all this stuff happened. And, like, I really, you know, I really love y'all. I really, y'all are some of my best friends. And, like, I just, everything's been so stressful with me and my life or whatever. So, I just hope y'all understand. Well, they're on the way back to town because her show is supposed to be happening that night. Of course, because she, she you know, this was her weekend off, but she's supposed to go back for her show. Um, they're on the way back and the car runs out of gas. They don't know how the car ran out of gas because they went and got gas the night before. So now Lloyd has to go walk into town and try to get some gas so they can get the car going. But there's no way that Margot is going to get back for the show. And, um, you know, Eve is her understudy. And so as try as they might, um, you know, Eve is probably going to have to go on for her. Now they're sitting in the car and... Margot tells makes a really interesting speech. And I remember earlier when I said that um, uh, she wanted to marry um, a Joan Crawford's uh, her her co-star, but Joan Crawford took him, or he was in love with Joan Crawford, and she said he saw me as a good actress, but he didn't see me as a woman. Well, she ends up making this speech many years later in All About Eve, where she says, "You spend all of these years, and I." This this speech always hits me so hard. She basically says you spend all of your life, you know, figuring out how to be a good actress, how to be a good dancer, a good singer, how to do all of these things. And then you realize at some point in your life, you have to figure out how 
to be a just to be a woman. Like if you want to be married, if you want a man to be in love with you, men are not in love with, you know, actresses, dancers, men are in love with women. And so you have to figure out how to do that again. And you have to let everything go. And she said, you know, sometimes I, I just want to, I just want to look over and she said, sometimes I enjoy being by myself, but sometimes I just want to look over and, and at the six o'clock news and have someone just be, be there and be able to look at them and say, they're there, they're home. And it's a, such a beautiful speech because this woman, Margot, is so strong-willed and you can tell she's like sassy, she's smart, she's about her business, she's about her money, she's a great actress, but at the end of the day, she is head over heels in love with Bill. And she just wants a home to feel like Bill is home for her, but she still has this like age insecurity. Well, all the time she's talking, you know, and she's telling Karen, like, you know, I, I, I really appreciate you for being my best friend and being here for me. Karen is, you know, looking at her and being there for her, but she's also looking a little awkwardly. And, um, it's looking like uh, there may be some foul play going on here, but we're going to talk about that a little bit later, okay? Well, since Margo was not there, Eve ended up going on and everybody was enamored with her performance. She did a really great job. Um, and uh, amazingly enough, all of these... Um, Theater critics were there at that performance, like from all the papers around town who were all there to critique how well her performance did. And some people um, said, you know, they really would have rather seen Margot. But a lot of people said that Eve did really well, including one Mr. Addison DeWitt that we met earlier in the film, if you remember. Um, so um later that night after her performance bill comes back there um and then tells her like oh you did a really good job girl and um he was like yeah i did a really good job you know what i'm saying i feel like i can replace um margo in more ways than one um and bill's like mm, i don't know what you're talking about babe uh i'm in love with margo and she's like yeah i know but you know I'm, i see the way you've been looking at me you know what i'm saying i i feel it so I don't know why you acting like this. And Bill's like, look, sis, I really don't want to embarrass you. I don't. I don't want it. I, I'm in love with Margot. Like, I've tried to tell you that a couple of times. You are just, um, you are a new actress. I don't want to embarrass you. So put your wig back on. Do whatever you got to do. But it's going to be a no for me, ma'am. No, ma'am, turkey spam. I'll be damned. So, of course, now Eve is hurt, but hurt. Um, Addison DeWitt was standing outside the door when this happened. He ain't say that he heard this happen. He didn't say nothing when he came in, but so Bill leaves, Addison comes in and he's like, Hey, you know, I think you did a really good job at your performance tonight. I want to write a piece about you. I want other people to like, know your story and know everything about you. And Addison, you know, he's a really big critic around town. So he's like, that's what's up. I really appreciate it. Now, Addison is like, oh, I, I've heard a little bit about you. I know you found out about Margot at this specific theater in San Francisco. And she's like, oh, yeah, that's where I went to see her. And um, then uh, she kind of gets quiet during his questioning and says she can't hear him because she's about to turn on the shower. So he stops questioning her and goes on and waits for her to finish so he can take her to dinner. 
Well, Karen is supposed to meet Margot for lunch the next day, and she ends up seeing Addison at uh, the place that they're supposed to meet. And Addison was like, oh, like I don't know if Margot's going to be here today. Um, you might want to check on her and see how she's doing because I don't know. So she goes to, um, she ends up seeing the paper and sees this scathing article that Addison wrote um, quoting Eve saying basically Margot was resisting younger talent because she felt like she deserved to be in the spotlight more than younger girls. Because the one thing I didn't mention was this role that Margot is essentially playing is actually for a like the person in the the person that she's playing is about 10 years younger than her. Um, but she's such a good actress, she can play any age. That's the whole point. Well, uh, Margot is obviously upset about everything that's happened and seeing this like scathing article written about her. Um, in the meantime, uh, as she's, she's going off, like having a full, like this girl, Eve, and I knew she was trash. I knew she wasn't shit. She up here, like in my face, acting one way. And now she's going to talk shit about me behind my back, boo off the bam. Um, so she's going off. Bill comes in. And the minute that Bill comes in, she runs to the corner and just starts to, like, cry. And Bill walks over to her and, like, holds her in his arms. And Karen's like, yeah, I know. I know when I'm a third wheel. All right, I'm going to just go on ahead and let y'all have y'all moment. So Bill is back. Okay. So later on, Bill and uh, Margot call the Richards and ask them to come meet them for dinner. Now, earlier, Lloyd, uh, Karen's husband, of course, um, had been saying that he was writing this new play and he had been writing it for Margot. But he had said like, oh, well, maybe I could audition somebody younger for it. I don't know. You know, somebody who maybe could utilize my words a little better. Of course, he's talking about Eve. And Karen's like, girl, no, no, honey, like you can't do that. Um, you wrote that for Margot. You said it was for Margot. It's Margot's. You're not writing it for Eve. And he was like, yeah, okay, I know, whatever. So now um, Margot and and uh, the Richards and Bill are at dinner and Margot and Bill finally announce their engagement. Great. Now, while they're talking about, you know, how wonderful it's going to be, they're going to go get married um, at the courthouse the next day. And um, it's going to be really nice. Karen gets a note from Eve to meet her in the bathroom at this restaurant because Eve and Addison had been sitting together as well at a table across from them. Um, when they were trying to, they quickly gave them the cold shoulder. Um, but Eve asks Karen to meet her in the powder room. So she goes, first she was like, I'm not finna go down there. And Margo was like, just go down there and see what you want. You know how girls be. She's like, go down there and see what she wants. See what she want to say. So um, Karen goes down there. And at first, Karen feels really bad for Eve because she's like, you know, Addison just twisted my words up. I didn't say that. I really was saying really good stuff about Margo. I was just saying it seems like, you know, she's really focused on playing this role and she ha does really have a timeless performance. So she doesn't feel like it necessarily needs a young person, this, that, and the third. So Karen's like, well, girl, you know, I, I get it. Okay, let me know if I can do anything for you. So Karen was like, uh, Eve was like, yeah, actually you can. There's a there's a certain role that your husband is writing, and um, I think I want that. And Karen's like, oh, no, that's Margot's role. I'm not going to 
no, thank you. Bye. So uh, Eve was like, oh, okay, well, I'm, I'm with Addison. And he also knows, I know why Margot didn't make that performance that one day. And Addison also knows why she didn't make that performance and why all of those critics were at that one performance, magically enough. Um, so um, if you don't get me that role, I'm going to tell Margot that you're the reason that she... Um, did not make it to that performance because you guys magically, quote unquote, ran out of gas. Um, so you can just make that happen for me. Thank you so much. So Karen's like, oh, oh, okay. So she goes back upstairs. Um, Margo's like, what was that about? And she was like, oh, she just, you know, she just apologized or whatever. Margo's like, oh, well, I thought about something and I want to tell you guys something. I don't want to be in that new play. I think you should give the role to somebody else. And Karen's like, what? <laughs> She's like, yeah, I think you should, I think you should give the role to somebody. I, I don't want to be in it. Karen starts busting up laughing. She's like, are you, you wildin'? Okay. So anyway, so of course the role goes to Eve. Bill and Lloyd have a bunch of arguments about working on this show. And, and Bill leaves a lot of times because Lloyd loves what Eve is doing. Bill is arguing about, you know, he wants things to look his certain way. And of course, Margot knew the way that Bill liked his shit. So they have, a, they have never argued more. More than that, you know, Eve is calling Lloyd at all hours of the night. Lloyd is coming over to see Eve and he's married to, you know, he's married, but he's spending all this time with Eve. He's talking about how, you know, much he, in how good she is at his performances and stuff like that. So it's all getting real messy. So they're about to premiere um, this new play in New Haven. And Addison has come to visit Eve before the play. And she Eve says, hey, you know, it, I'm having a good day. Me and uh, Lloyd finna get together. Um, me and Lloyd finna get married you're going to write new plays and we about to be the best little um actress and playwright couple that there ever was addison is like um <clears throat> babe i don't know if you know this but like i made you so you literally belong to me and eve's like um i don't know that's that's weird and you can literally get out of my room um and he's like no i'm gonna stay um and you're you're gonna be with me he laughs in her face. And when I tell you, this man slaps her in the face so fast. This man slapped her like, like, ooh, it was, I, I, it's, woo. He slaps her so fast and he's like, girl, don't ever laugh in my face again. Cause let me tell you what's finna happen. First of all, I know you said you went to go see Margot at that playhouse in San Francisco. That playhouse does not exist. Um, I know for facts that you worked at a beer factory, but the reason that you left town was because you were sleeping with the owner and his, his wife found out and told you if you ever came back, she was literally going to kill you. That's why you left and came to New York. And that's why you found Margot. So now girl, girl has literally gone from indignant to crying because she knows that the jig is up. This man knows her whole story, including knowing her real government name because Eve Harrington is even her real name. But this man knows her whole story. And he was basically like, me and you are the same. We both, we both slimy. Okay. I know, I know the deal. 
So if you want to keep this going, you want to keep this lifestyle up, baby, it's me and you now. So now she can't be with Lloyd. And she's been blackmailed by Addison. And they belong together. So now, Eve, months later, she's uh, headed for Hollywood. She's a Broadway star. And we go back to the beginning of the movie where she's at this award banquet that um, Addison was uh, narrating for us at the beginning. And she thanks Margot, Bill, Lloyd, and Karen. And they all kind of look at her like, bitch, if you ever say my name again in your life, I will literally kill you. Um, and even afterwards, she tries to say something to Margot, and Margot is like, girl, you're literally trash beans. Thank you so much. Um, so she's tired afterwards, of course, because she was supposed to be with her little boo Lloyd, and now she can't even be with him. Um, her whole little crew, she ain't even got no crew no more. So she goes back home and she meets this girl named Phoebe who is a teenage fan who's basically um, snuck into her apartment and fallen asleep. Um, Phoebe is not her real name. She tells her outright that Phoebe is not her real name, but she chose the name Phoebe. Um, and she says that she adores Eve and she offers to pack Eve's trunk for Hollywood because she's leaving the next day. She talks about, um, you know, her her story and how she's been following Eve for so long. Um, and Eve basically invites her in to stay the night instead of taking the train home by subway that night. And Eve goes to sleep on the couch. And Addison, um, while she's sleeping, Addison brings the award to the door. And Phoebe answers the door. And he's basically already seeing that Phoebe is basically what Eve was to Margot, but now Eve has her own Eve in Phoebe. And the end of the film, we see Phoebe standing in the mirror, holding up Margot's, I mean, holding up uh, Eve's award and with Eve's dress on and kind of like pantomiming winning this award and holding it up and being, you know, whatever, glamorous. And that's where the movie fades out. Um, that's the end. So, of course, there are quite a few themes in this film. The way womanhood plays out in people's lives um, is a huge theme in this film. Um, this was, uh, it's got a lot of critical acclaim, of course, because the acting is amazing. Betty Davis was brilliant. Um, Gary Merrill as Bill Samson, um, he has this like very like um, quiet charm to him where he does feel like very Hollywood, like very like I could have any girl, but also I can have any girl, but I want you. And every time he talks to Margot, whenever he's around Margot, you get this, you do get this feeling. It's very well played acting um, where Margot is just like this. Margot is me. She shoots off at the mouth. She's loud. She does not care. Like she's boop, boop, boop. I got it for you. But when she gets around this one man, it's just like, 
she just doesn't know how to contain her little feelings and she gets so sensitive. It's so sweet and so sad because even while they're having their breakup, she's like basically giving him nothing. She's just basically like, Bill, you don't even like me. I know you don't like me. I don't know why you're doing this. Just whatever. And Bill is trying to tell her like, I, I like, I girl, I love you. I tell you, I love you all the time. I care about you all the time. And she's just like, I don't even want to hear that right now. Like, I, cause I don't believe you. I'm 40 years old. You're 32. Like, I know it's not going to work. And when they, when he leaves her, when she asks him, is he going to go see Eve? And he leaves her. She like, then she weeps into the bed. She weeps. She starts to cry when he leaves the room, when she knows that he's like actually gone, gone. Because normally she does this all the time where she just be like, oh yeah, you, you, you going to leave me for another little young bitch. You going to leave me for another hoe. And he'd be like, girl, I love you. Like, why you keep doing this? He does, she does this every time. And normally he just stays through it, but this is too much. This is getting to be too much, especially about Eve, because unfortunately, he and all of the other men in this film are blind to her like subtle innocence all being an act. And it's it's really interesting that you have these very strong women characters who feel, feel very deeply. And you have this character, Eve. If you watch the film from the first monologue where she talks about her life story, you like you might as well put violins in the background and like have her be on a farm like it really was like a story from a book and the way that she tells it there's like a glint in her eye she stares off into the distance it's like she's been practicing this her whole life and these people are all enthralled in the story engaged because from her it feels earnest eve is one of the best actresses and has been acting this whole time. So it's no wonder that she's able to take up being Margot's understudy so quickly. It's no wonder that she's able to pick up learning a role really fast. This girl, I mean, she has been acting since she's got there. She's been acting since before she got there. It's clear that she said that she was in a community theater back home, but it's clear that acting has been a dream for her. And her kind of clamoring her way under Margot, at first it seems like, okay, if you want if you wanted to be the best, um, if you wanted to be one of the best performers ever, and you could have Beyonce as a mentor. You look at like somebody, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Chloe and Haley. Hopefully you guys are. But you look at Chloe and Haley. Chloe and Haley are like if you literally took Beyonce and split her into two little girls. And like they mentored Beyonce. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Like they, if you wanted to be an amazing talk show host, you would want to be mentored by Oprah. If you wanted to be an amazing actress, you would want to be mentored by Meryl Streep. You know? So it it makes sense that this girl would go to her and say, I want this is what I want from you. But that's not what she did. She went to her and said, I'm enamored with you and I just want to do things for you and used those opportunities to cl like gather p 
people around Margot into her little like duffel bag so that she could utilize them however she wanted. Karen brought Eve into the fold unknowingly because the girl seemed so sweet and so simple. And she could have never known that all of this was going to unfold from this one girl. But interestingly enough, Eve playing this, this sweet and innocent role, Birdie, of all the people in that room, recognized it from the jump. Every time Birdie was in the room with Eve, she knew something was off, something was wrong. And it's not because Birdie was um, jealous or because Birdie felt like somebody was taking her place because that definitely wasn't happening. Birdie and Margo was still... I, you can't see my fingers, but they doing the little crossy thing. They was like this. They was like two peas in a pod. So the problem wasn't that she felt like she was being replaced. The problem was that she felt like her friend was genuinely being taken advantage of. And that right there is the key to this film. There's a whole bunch of people that are around Margot, right? She's got her boyfriend, Bill, but Bill doesn't see Eve as a threat because she's just super sweet and comes in and seems to be protective of Margot, which is what Bill would want, right? Karen doesn't see anything wrong with Margot, with um, Eve, because she seems like a sweet down home girl who's just as obsessed with her friend as she thinks that anybody else should be. Everybody should be obsessed with you, Margot. I get why this girl is obsessed with you. You're amazing, right? Um... Everybody in her life feels like, Margo, you're amazing. We understand why this girl is obsessed with you. Birdie is the only one that thinks there's something a little bit off about the way that this girl cares about you. Because it doesn't seem like, oh, I'm trying to take care of you. It's almost like I'm trying to um, absorb your lifestyle and absorb the things I know about you. Instead of me asking you, hey, do you want me to call and set up a call for you for Bill for his birthday? Because like, I know it's his birthday and that's something that he's really into and he might want to hear from you, girl. Is that something you would want? No, she called as Margot and set up that call to Bill. She started to replace... Instead of, hey, Bill, uh, uh, you know, I just want to tell Bill a couple of things that have been going around here. I think it may help with the show. It may help with you. Um, and I know that it's hard for you not having Bill around here. Um, so I just want to keep him abreast of things that are going on. But I know you don't want to write to him. So I'm just going to do that. Instead of her doing that, she just does it on her own. Starts to communicate with Bill in a way that Margot, you know, is not, doesn't know about. She's trying to build a relationship with him behind Margot's back. But the thing is, Margot, I mean, but Eve doesn't need anything from Birdie. And that's the reason that Birdie is able to see through it very quickly. Eve use, uses Karen because Karen's husband is Lloyd. Karen brought her into the fold and is obviously very gullible. And also, um, you know, her husband is 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 huge in the theater. 
Um, she has to put on for Bill because number one, she has been trying to get with him because she wants to marry some kind of playwright so that she can stay in the theater somehow. Obviously that's her dream. And, um, she wasn't able to trick Margot for that long because obviously she is literally leeching off of Margot, parasiting off of Margot, but there's nothing that she needs from Bertie. And so because she doesn't have to put on for Bertie, put on a show, have a story for Bertie, she doesn't have to, she doesn't have to communicate her with her in specific ways. And because Bertie is basically from the street, she was from, um, she was, a, a from a sideshow group. Um, and that's what she, that's the shows that she used to do. But Birdie is smart. She's quick on the uptake and she can tell when there's a trick happening in front of her. But like, obviously she wants to believe, you know, obviously she also wants to believe people would love Margot. I understand why this girl is obsessed with Margot. She just doesn't like the way she is obsessed with Margot. So I think that this movie is about the way that men communicate and associate with men, women and the way that men see women. Because we can see that all of these men, Max Fabian, um, Lloyd, even up to a point, Bill, literally up until the point where Eve tries to get with him, all these men think that she is just like harmless as a fly. And all of these women, um, Margot, Bertie eventually Karen, they become privy to who Eve really is and it creeps up on them. And she reveals herself to these women, but never reveals herself to men. The only man that ends up finding out about her, Addison DeWitt, he's able to use that to keep a hold on her. And it's really unfortunate that this girl got so caught up in her lies and has gone so far up in the chain. Because if she was still low on the totem pole, she could probably just be like, you know what, like, this happened, you know, it sucks that this happened, but like, nobody's even going to know about my backstory. I could come out and tell people my real story at this point. And nobody... But now, because she has rode this story to stardom, she has no choice but to give in to whatever Addison wants. And that's like so sad because at the beginning of this, you see Margot trapped in this trap because of sort of her own mental trap because of her age. While Eve now feels like she's freed into this life where she can like utilize these people however she wants. And at the end of the day, Margot's age ends up freeing her and makes her able to say like, I don't want to do that show. I just want to sit at home with my man and watch the news and look over and have him be there. And sometimes he'll go on trips and he has to do what he has to do or whatever, but he's always going to come back home to me. And that's what I know. That's, and that's all, honestly, a woman wants. And it, it's so sad that like we as women are so predisposed to just, you know, we want companionship. We want that person to come home to, that person that we can look over at six o'clock when the news comes on and they're there. Um, 
And this girl Eve was so hell-bent on chasing stardom that she was even willing to marry and steal a man from her husband. I mean, from his wife for stardom. And at the end of the day, all that uh, thirst for stardom ended up uh, putting her in the worst situation that she could be in. But basically stuck in her own life and not able to do anything that she wants to do. It's insane. It's such a good movie. It's such a good plot. And um, I could watch it 10 more times. Honestly, I could watch it 10 more times. And I understand why every actress and all of these main actresses were nominated for Academy Awards because every single one of them did an amazing job. Okay, so should you see the movie? Yes. I mean, it's a great movie. It's amazing. If it's ever on TV or on somewhere where you can watch it, I definitely recommend it. Um, I had to, I have an, uh, a subscription to Criterion to collection. So it's on there, um, which is where I watched it. I know you can rent it in other places, but Criterion is so great for what I'm doing right now. It has a ton of older films. Um, it has them in collections and you can also just look up a bunch of films. I'm not sponsored or anything right now. I just, I love the Criterion collection, um, app. Um, it has helped me out quite a bit. But um, I would definitely recommend seeing this film. It has great acting, um, great cinematography, um, and uh, yeah, it's and Betty Davis does an amazing job. I mean, all all of the acting in the film is great, and of course, um, Anne Baxter, who plays Eve Harrington, does a fantastic job, um, and Marilyn Monroe is just a dream. But we love Betty Davis. We stand a legend. Absolutely. So um, that is going to be it for today. Um, tomorrow, I will be back here with you um, where we can talk about a Joan Crawford film um, that has to do with a woman who is uh, would do anything for her daughter. And we'll just see how far she is willing to go for her daughter. Um, one of a great film that got um, uh, Joan Crawford an Academy Award, of course, as we talked about earlier. Um, so I will be back with you guys tomorrow. Um, hopefully uh, this is not overkill. I know that I've been gone for two weeks. So, um, you know, you guys can spread it out. Hopefully this is just more content uh, that can liven up your week. Um, as always, uh, please follow the podcast on all of uh, our whatever. Please follow the podcast on whatever platform you use, uh, Spotify, Apple, uh, Podchaser, Good Pods, um, and rate wherever available. You can check out the Flave Pod Instagram where I usually post. I haven't been posting movie stills as much um, because right now I don't have a huge follower count. I probably will start posting a lot more over there once the follower count goes up a little bit. Um, but I just have a lot more followers over on Twitter. So I do post a lot on Twitter, film underscore Nikki, as I always say. And you can always send any collab requests, advice, movie recommendations, or general greetings to Here's Looking Pod podcast at gmail.com that's h-e-r-e-s-l-o-o-k-i-n p-o-d-c-a-s-t at gmail.com thank you so much for tuning in and if i don't see you good afternoon good evening and it's gonna be a bumpy night (laughs) sorry i had to do it it's it's a great 
it's a great it's a great line it's a great film okay anyway um good afternoon good evening and good night cheers